This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. And so I want to tell you about Christmas 1965 in Vietnam. We were in Tuiwa South, and that was the 101st Airborne, the 1st Brigade, and they announced that we can board these trucks, these six spies, and they're going to drive to the Trang to get on boats to go across to Cameron Bay to see the Bob Hope Christmas show. Oh, my God. You can't even imagine how exciting it was, how excited I was and all my friends that we might get to see Bob Hope. So we all jump in the back of all these trucks. I don't know how many trucks there were. Ten more? I don't remember. There was a bunch of us. And we make this trip from Tuiwa to Natrang, and then from the train, we get right down to the water, and then there's more trucks. Okay, well, our, our little caravan was like 10 or 15 trucks, which is a lot, all full of troops, right? Trousers and motorcycle boots And a black leather jacket with his name on the back He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Ride Radio His name is New York Mike And welcome to the show This is Roll Right Radio I'm New York Mike Hi, this is Roll Right Radio I'm New York Mike And it is Well, it ain't Christmas Eve quite But it's Christmas Eve Eve How's that? Two days to Christmas Day. Christmas Eve is, wow, tomorrow night. I would have to say, this is the winter of discontent. (laughs) I I haven't heard so much discontent since I can remember. Do I think things are that bad? There's some bad things out there. Don't get me wrong. You hear me all the time. I talk about the Biden administration. I talk about Afghanistan, about the border. I mean, everything. But hey, come on. This is the United States of America. We're fine. We're great. We're going to be better. Everything's going in the right direction, not the wrong direction. He passed his infrastructure bill. He didn't pass his voting rights bill. Like, disrupt the entire process of voting and help the Democrats get elected whenever they want by making everybody able to, you know, vote by mail. And we could put together all these, you know, <laughs> ballot harvesting plans and all these other things. No, that that's not, that's far from done. And so is his BBB. Bad. BBB. <laughs> it's not done. So you know what? I know I'm angry. I know I'm upset. I know I'm this. I know I'm, I got it. But really, I sit back and I go, okay, I'm going to get to work. I got to make sure that we vote. Listen, my mother-in-law. When Joe Manchin announced he's not voting for this bill, he's voting against this bill, she revealed to me, and, and she's awesome. She's just a really awesome American woman. Fantastic. And she says, well, I, I, I did what I could, so maybe I hope it helped. And I said, what'd you do? She said, well, I sent letters to my, you know, my congressman in the Senate. I got 20 friends who send letters. And I'm saying, that is what makes America great. Right there. This is a woman who cares about the country. She's not looking forward to the next 50 years of her lifetime. She's looking forward to 50 years of your lifetime. 
she's looking forward to the next 50 years or the next 80 years, if you want to look at the, the quadrants that we talked about. She's looking forward to those 80 years that you're going to enjoy. How good a thing is it to do what you can do and influence those friends of yours and help them and encourage them? If you had enough people doing that, you wouldn't need anything else. You know that they're going to vote when it comes time to vote. They're going to vote. They're going to vote responsibly. They're going to sign their name. They're going to show their ID. They're going to do all the things. That's awesome. This is what makes America great. The individual citizen that says, I'm an American, that I've benefited from being in this country for a lifetime, or I will be benefiting, my children are benefiting, and I'm going to do what I can. Now, look, on the other side, you can say what you want. I love that my mother-in-law, the amazing Grace, <laughs> she is, she's amazing. I love that she went out and did all this, and, and I love that our opinions coincide. But what if she felt the other way? And she did the same thing. So what? Be grateful in America that you have people who feel that they can actually influence and have some effect on what our government does. That's what makes America great. We just need more people on our side that are responsible than on their side. I got to say, it's Christmas, okay? And this is a great Christmas. It's a time for hope. Look, I've been railing about all the, the war on Christmas, the war on Christianity. I mean, we're winning the war. I want to make sure everybody understands. You got to gird up, man. You got to stand up. You got to be ready to, yes. But the fact that we can, and we can by a mile, it's not close. It's not like, you know, it's not like these communists, these AOCs and Bernie Sanders and, and the, the, the squads. It's not like they're defeating us. They're defeating the Democrat Party. That's all they're doing. And do you think these Democrats as a whole, you think that's their agenda? No. They're going along with the flow. That's the wave. That's the Democrat wave right now. Talk to them individually, which is what we have to do. And that's what my mother-in-law does. She talks to all her friends and she talks to all the people. That's what we have to learn from. That's the best Christmas present America can have. You want to do something great for America, great for your country? That's what you do. I want to tell you something about Christmas in my lifetime. And it's, this is a time for hope. It's a time for, for the people to, to gather around and lift up this spirit. So we're going into the harshest time of the year. It's winter. It's harsh. It's hard to survive. And remember, we have it easy. We expect to be warm. We expect to have heaters. Yeah, we're angry that we have to pay a lot more money for energy. We're angry about this and that. But except for the homeless out there, and God knows we, we should be fixing that. There's more than enough jobs looking to get filled for each and every one of these people. And I'm not saying that I have the answer, but I, somebody that does isn't putting on their thinking caps. They're not going to work every day. They're just watching this and accepting it. That's why these politicians in places like California, San Francisco, L.A., and now even San Diego, they need to be thrown out. And not by term limits, because that's just voters being lazy. That doesn't work. you got to get the people involved. you got to get involved. you got to exercise 
your rights as an American because they're going to go away. Use them or lose them. So get out there and do it. Out of 320 million of us, how many? Most of us live fairly well to pretty good to a lot better to okay. And any of that, it's, but years ago, when I was a kid and even way before that, people were just suffering through it in the, in the 1800s and the 1920s and 30s. During the 40s, people didn't have heat. I remember my grandmother's house on the Lower East Side of New York, where there wasn't a refrigerator, it was an icebox. Today, we have so much, but it's still harsh for some people. Look, you got to know that great things are coming. The day is surely going to follow even the darkest night, even a young pregnant couple, innocent but resilient youth, having to give birth in a manger, a stable. Does it get any harder or more difficult? And yet this is the birth of Christ. This is the birth. This is it. A man who led a life of learning, teaching, of believing, okay? you got to remember, he didn't just get born and the next thing he's on the cross dying. There's a lifetime in there. And I just want to relay a couple of stories that, that mean something to me. And I've been to Israel many times, but then at one time I went with paratroopers from all over the world. This is 1987 to celebrate. The paratroopers took back the old city of Jerusalem. And so they invited paratroopers from all over the world to train and work with them. And I think out of two or 300 that I met up there, I think six or seven of us were Jewish. And I think there were about, there might've been 60 or 70 from the United States. There were 70 or 80 from Germany for crying out loud. It was amazing. But I, I want to talk about this story that, that, that touched and why it relates to Christmas. Because, you know, we go through the training and you go through all that stuff. And I, I think I've talked a little bit about it. Maybe I didn't. It was kind of cool to go through the Israeli jump school, being an American paratrooper. And I have jump wings from Vietnam and in different places. But going through the jump school in in Israel, you go you go through you go on Eichmann's Tower. And they have the different names from the Holocaust for the different apparatus and equipment and training. And and it's kind of cool. It's you go, wow, man. it's a little bit self deprecating, but it's just I don't know, it was kind of interesting and I just thought I'd mention that. And of course we went two or three times to the statue or whatever it is of the fallen paratroopers. And that was pretty moving. But then we get through the whole training thing. And I need to talk about that separately. But then we finally, we get up and we're going to make our first jump in Israel. We go up in the plains and that, that's a whole story of itself, but it's separate from this. The whole story of how we jumped and the heights we jumped and different things and the rules that the Israelis have versus what we have. The Israeli women, the paratroopers, oh my God, I'm going to get into all that. At some point, you guys in the military are going to enjoy it. But on this day, we jumped over an area in Tel Aviv called the Palmacham. And we go out, and it was, it was a rough day. The weather was horrible, and we, we were lucky to get out. I think if it was someplace over Fort Bragg, they probably would have turned the planes around. Probably never would have gone up in the first place because they knew it. But anyway, so. We go out, 
And we jump. I, I remember my friend Jerry Ginder, one of the other Jews, former SF guys, went out right before me. And as we we rush to the door, and he turns around and he yells, a zygos, which is a Jewish thing. And I, I go right behind him. I'm still laughing. We get on the ground over the desert. It's over the desert, this one, just huge desert area. There's nothing there. And the weather was horrible. The, the wind is blowing. It's all terrible. And, you, you, you know, you finally land. And, by, by the way, I had a, a twisty behind me. I was freaking out. I didn't want it to turn into something else. But I, it came out. It was all good. That was the worst one I ever had, by the way. So we're on the ground. We get on the ground. And when you're on the ground, you have a kit bag that you jump with. And when you land, you gather the chute together and, and you put it into the bag and then you carry it back to the whatever. And so I'm doing it and I look over, I don't know, maybe half a football field away. It was quite a ways. I see one of the guys is struggling. So I, I get my stuff all together, put it in. I kind of go over and see if this guy's hurt. And it turns out it was a guy a little older than me, Korean war vet, actually, who had a prosthetic leg. Now, we didn't know this. I didn't know it. I knew the guy. I can't remember his name. I knew the guy. But I, I didn't know he had the prosthetic leg. And he hit it well. And he, man, it, I mean, that's a tough thing to do, right? But it collapsed on his, uh, his landing, his PLF. He just, whatever happened. And so he's struggling to get up. He's working, trying to gather the shoe together and get the bag, and he can hardly stand. And I go, wow. I said, let me help you. And he, oh, thanks, man. That's okay. And I help him gather the shoe, and he starts walking over. I didn't know the extent. And you could see just his leg is just all, it's a prosthetic that's just twisted, broken. And it's obvious he's dragging it. I let him hold on to my shoulder, and I got the two bags, and he's holding on, and we're walking off. You look at the end of the desert, there is no end, right? And you walk in and you go, oh, my God. But you can see the other guys going in the direction. So you, okay, we're going in the right direction. And then so we, we're walking in that direction. I look at them and I go, man. I said, you got to be in pain. He goes, yeah, it's okay. It hurts. I said, oh, okay. And I remember this conversation. I'll never forget this conversation. I said, once you wait here and instead of walking, let me walk and get something. He goes, hey. He says, and, and then he, he said the words, I'll never forget. He said, I'm walking the land that Jesus walked on. And he said it in a way. Sometimes I remember the rabbi that told me there's no such thing as coincidence. The words, the way he said it still echo in my head. And the way this guy said what he said to me when he tried to convince me not to leave him. And he was walking and he was trying to make me understand. To walk on the ground that Jesus walked was something he'll never get to do again. And, and he's explained. And I'm like, wow. Jesus walked that land, the land of Israel, everywhere, the Galilee to Jerusalem to everywhere. And it, it wasn't just being born in the manger and dying on the cross. It's the life he led in between. Then you go to places where he spoke and where he talked and where he, and this man was a man of inspiration and intelligence. He told people how to do things. You got to remember, he was a carpenter. And a carpenter, 
back then? Believe me, we're talking about the year B.C. We're talking about over 2,000 years ago. What did you do for tools? What did you do to, to complete the job of building something? You couldn't go to the hardware. Ace Hardware, where is that in the desert? Let's go to Ace Hardware. Let's pick up. No. Yeah, they improvise and build and make things and create things. And, 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 and so he was ahead. Of, and so many people listened to him and, and, and learned from him. He was a leader. And he led a life. Learning, teaching, believing. And this Christian who I was with in Israel, and I was fortunate enough to be with him, just grateful, was in pain, with one leg crumbling, a prosthetic crumbling, getting through on the one leg, leaning on me, just, he was walking the land that Jesus walked. I, I think that that says, it said a lot to me, and when I think about it, it still does. So, you know, there's been a lot. Yeah, yeah, I get it. There's been a war on Christmas, on Christianity. They did away with prayer in school. That was pointed out to me. I was talking to my friend Donnie from New York. Donnie from New York. And we were talking about this whole, and he reminded me. We used to have prayer in school when I was a kid. You prayed. And I never prayed in Christianity. I never prayed in, in, in a Protestant or a Christian voice or Catholic voice. I, I pray this is you. Hero Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael. That's when I was a kid. But I was brought up in, in a Jewish home and I was taught. And I was so it came time to pray. And that's when I prayed. We all pray our, our own way. The blue laws. Remember they used to have blue laws on Sunday? And I remember that and I thought they were harsh and not fair. It really did. But then Donnie pointed out that those blue laws, that's how people went to church. Then people stopped going to church when they had to go to work. If you, if you were selling cars or working in retail around the country, you couldn't go to work on Sunday. There was a good reason to stay home. I mean, someone like me, I didn't think of it. What does it mean to me? I said, oh, my God, I got to sell more. But there is the other side. There is the side that says, we used to all go to church on Sunday and then have family dinner Sunday night. And the doing away with blue laws was a, a lot of the reason that doesn't happen anymore. And I, I never thought of it. But you know, Christmas is still here and getting stronger. Yeah, we went through that little bit of, hey, season's greetings, <laughs> happy holidays, happy horse shit. It's about Christmas. It's about the birth of Jesus Christ. Whether you like it or not, that's what it's about. So appreciate it. Appreciate how important it is. And it is getting stronger. And it is getting bigger. The, the number one book <laughs> written by Fox News people. The number one book today about their Christmas holiday. And it talks about the Christmas traditions of another half a dozen people from Fox News. That's the number one seller in the country. That's got to give you some hope and inspiration. That's got to be saying something to you. Absolutely. And then there's my friend Gunny Claus. That's right. My 
my retired Marine buddy, retired gunny sergeant, right, who's gunny claws. And there's other gunny clauses out there. And these guys do a lot. The Toys for Tots, the Marine Corps Toys for Tots. It's growing. It's getting bigger. And then the all the gunny clauses out there that help do things that help the families and feed people. And this is big. This is a big Christmas thing. And that's my friend Barr. All right. And Barr just wanted to do things to help kids. But, you know, it's a funny story because I heard him tell it. <laughs> he was being interviewed someplace. <laughs> if you see Barr, <laughs> he could be a scary looking guy with his, his big beard. And even now more so because it's grayish and it's got little white highlights and it's big. And he looks like a big skinny caveman. That's Barr. And he said he would do things to help kids at these Christmas events and other events because he's a retired Marine and kids were afraid of him. Wow. So he decided, because he, he saw that this uh, gunny claws thing, and he decided he was going to you know, do his own gunny claws thing. And he, so he gets this red, like, Christmas suit with his campaign hat. and Everything's red and bright, and it looks good. And as scary as he looks, he still looks more like Santa Claus now. A skinny Santa Claus. I'd say an in-shape Santa Claus. But that's what people do. From Christmas, it's a wonderful time of year. It's it is a time for hope and inspiration. And I told you about my my experience in Israel with my friend that just was so thrilled and didn't even feel the pain he was going through because he was walking on the land that Jesus walked. So I want to tell you, I'll finish this off, and it'll be short and sweet. I promise you. I want to tell you about. Christmas in, in Vietnam, 1965. And I want to tell you about the good experience I had yesterday. I had to go to the VA because, you know, I was convinced by friends to, to go to the VA and get my benefits. And I never wanted to. And so I, I've had to go through all this VA stuff. And I want to, again, thank Frank Opp and my other friends that have been beating me up and convincing me. And Frank actually picked me up at my house at 7 in the morning last June to drive me down there to make sure that I would not do it. But, you know, you go, you got to go through all these processes to get qualified to find out if you're entitled to any benefits. And you go to each doctor and each thing, and it's a long story. But yesterday, I went for the what I hope and believe is the final physical. And I go up and I meet this doctor, and, and she starts asking me questions. And, of course, it's a very tough lady. <laughs> she's and she wouldn't take any any anything from me. I was trying to be a little little funny here and there. And of course I'm pulling I'm trying to answer and I'm pulling you're gonna have a mask on because it's the VA and they got their rules. And I'm trying to be nice and comply. But when she asked me a question, I want to talk. So I pulled the mask a little bit away from my mouth, right? This is what we do. And she goes, You'll keep that mask on. And you went, Oh, okay. Yeah, don't you know she and she didn't do it in the Nice way. It was very like this authoritative. Okay. So then we, as we got a little more into it and we started talking and she started asking me questions and it was interesting. Those questions were sincere. She was concerned. Why now? Why was I coming to the VA now? As we began talking and I explained it to her, I said, 
When I got out of the military, I said, when I got back from Vietnam, three, four months later, I got discharged. I said, I don't care what I went through in Vietnam. Yeah, I, I was in the Eighthfield Hospital for three weeks. I, I walked the soles off the bottom of my feet. I had back this and kidney that. I said, but here I am, walking out. I'm fine. It's 1966, and I'm healthy. I'm fine. I, I applied to the University of South Carolina. I'm in. I got everything. What, what am I going to do? I'm going to start complaining. I just left the field a few months ago. I was medevaced with a guy whose foot was gone. It was hanging up, and it, his whole foot was gone just above the ankle. And the, the other guy was shot in the neck, and it was like this whole big groove. And I don't know how he survived it. I said, and these other, then I'm in the hospital with these guys in, in all kinds of conditions, and I'm up. Walking, feeling pretty good. I'm going to complain. No, I didn't complain about anything. And plus, I didn't want to do any more paperwork. When, you know, it comes time to for the paperwork to get discharged, and they ask you medical, I'm fine, 100%. Everything's great. And I never looked back. And I never wanted to look back. I've always been very grateful. And now that I've been pretty active all these years with veterans' issues, and, I, and I've kind of always felt the same way. Why should I be entitled to disabilities? I'm not disabled. But then my active, more active, much more active friends than I am are telling me, Mike, you need to get this done because this sets the precedent for other people. That's the best way I can explain it. But that's the way they explained it to me. And it took them years to convince me. And what finally convinced me was I met somebody who was get receiving disability, whatever it's called, because he had cancer. He had, he had lung cancer and you know, he had been in Vietnam and they attached the Agent Orange. And so my friend said, Mike, you had cancer. You'll know you you need to do this because there are other veterans that are gonna be applying for service related things and well, the ones that have cancer, they you need to set that precedent. So and that's what finally got me to, and I'm explaining this to this doctor and she's listening and I'm telling her this whole thing. And as we're talking, we, we, you know, I realize she's just doing her job, but she really cares about why I'm here. And she really wants to understand. And as we're talking, she says, well, about Vietnam, what it was like when we come back and all this other stuff. She says, well, the country's going in the wrong direction. And I'm like, uh oh. And she goes, yeah. And I said, wait a minute. I said, I know things are rough and I could see, which I couldn't see before. But she was sincerely concerned. She told me she has two kids at home. I think she said they were three and five years old. And she's concerned about them growing up and the lives that they'll have. And I said, look, this is America. Don't be depressed three, four days before Christmas time. When we're, we're winning this war, we're winning the battle. The, the, the Biden administration, what they did just exposed the agenda of the left wing. And she was just very upset. And I, and I said, well, you're upset because you could see what's coming. You might not have seen that when Trump was president or even during the Obama years. Obama was really articulate and cool. He's an excellent speaker. 
And he was able to kind of hide that agenda in so many ways. He was so smooth. He was so slick in how he got things done. He wasn't this just, I mean, Biden is just absolutely stupid. I, I got to say that. And he's allowing the squad and AOC to leave, which is fine. Because like I said, he's exposed. So I'm talking to this doctor. And then I, I realized that we need to build up our fellow Americans on, on this holiday. And I thanked her for working for the VA and for doing this job and for caring about me enough to start this conversation when I know that, <laughs> that hour-long relationship didn't start on the friendliest of notes. Uh, but then it didn't stop her from caring. And I did appreciate that. So I, I did want to mention that because it's important to know that you've got to let other people know it's okay. We're winning the war. We're winning the battle. We're winning the fight for the American soul, the soul of this country. Then capitalism, you got communism. Capitalism isn't perfect. It isn't clean as a whistle. So a lot of people at the top taking advantage of it. There's a lot of people at the bottom being taken advantage of. It's absolutely true. But, you know, we're always working to fix it, to balance it. You don't balance it by overtaxing certain people and, and taking things and then giving it away. It's just what they're doing is wrong. But that, that's another podcast. I want to talk about Christmas. And so I want to tell you about Christmas 1965 in Vietnam. We were in Tuiwa South. And that was the 101st Airborne, the 1st Brigade. And they announced that we can board these trucks, these six spies, and they're going to drive to the Trang to get on boats to go across to Cameron Bay to see the Bob Hope Christmas show. Oh, my God. You can't even imagine how exciting it was, how excited I was and all my friends that we might get to see Bob Hope. So we all jump in the back of all these trucks. I don't know how many trucks there were. Ten more? I don't remember. There was a bunch of us. And we make this trip from Tuiwa to the Trang. And then from the Trang, we get right down to the water. And then there's more trucks. Okay, well, our, our little caravan was like 10 or 15 trucks, which is a lot. All full of troops, right? And we get there. And there's other trucks from other outfits. And we're there on, on the beach. And my truck was the last truck no it was the first truck not to get on the not to get on the ship to cameron bay we were the truck in front of us was the last one to go and we were the first ones not to go and there weren't that many behind us but that was it i mean can you imagine that the complete and other disappointment well it was hard it was it was rough christmas but you know i remember <laughs> I think it was, I'm almost sure, it was Leroy Siffring, this great troop who's from Wisconsin someplace. I'm pissed. I mean, I'm angry. I'm pissed. And these guys are going, that's eh, okay. We got it. We got it out for the day. We, whatever it was, they're trying to make the best of it. And they, they told us to take a break while we had to wait now. And I said, this is bullshit. I jump off the back of the trucks. They let the tailgate down. Hey, take a break, whatever. 
I jump off the truck and I start running into the water. Now, I wasn't going to go jumping in the water and swimming. But I got down there. I thought, and all these guys are yelling, yeah, yeah, and they're yelling and screaming. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to swim the camera up. I was kind of kidding, but it was getting to be a lot of hoopla behind me. You do something like that, and everybody's yelling and screaming and cheering you on. Of course, they want you to do something stupid and ridiculous. And then, of course, the MPs start coming at you, making those threats. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, shit, I got about, I don't know. Three feet into the water, thank goodness, and then a bunch of guys, I mean, and it was funny, and it was not the MPs, they were, they stopped on the beach and, and let the other guys from the 1st Brigade grab me and my guys, and then, but it was fun, it was a cool thing, and it ended up being uplifting, everybody had a good laugh, everybody was like, that was the coolest thing, oh, why, why didn't you jump in, well, I really didn't want to jump all the way in and get all wet, but I got in up to the top of my boots. <laughs> it was, it turned out to be a great day. It's not a great story. It's not a big deal. It's just a Christmas memory. And most of it was about, wow, we almost got to see a Bob Hope show. Even almost got to see in the Bob Hope show. And some of the people, some of the USO shows that we did get during that time of the year, the, the ones I remember the best, Martha Ray. If, if you're too young, if you don't remember who Martha, she was just a great comedian. I think she was married to Rocky Graziano, and, and that's a whole other story. But she was a piece of work. She was a fun lady. She was a great comedian. I'm not knocking Bob Hope out there in Cameron Bay. She came right out into the middle of the jungle, wherever we were, and, and put on a hell of a show. And she did it a couple of times while I was over there. So this is Christmas. Think about those people stationed all over the world. Americans standing guard. This is the time. You need to be on guard. Remember the Yom Kippur War when the Israelis were attacked. It was during the highest of holy holidays. I'm just telling you that it's important to be on your guard. And we are. America is. And it's those military, that those people who service. And by the way, it's the military. Yeah, about the fire department. How about the police department, who have been so denigrated by the Democrats in the last year? And what happens to these cops who are out there keeping us safe? First respond. Remember, that's not just a cute word. They respond to the worst incidents, and they've got to be out there and ready. On Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and New Year's Eve and the, every day of the year, the firefighters, the EMT guys, the emergency medical service people, I mean, the cops, they've been the most stepped on. Their money was taken away. Their insurance is taken away. The respect that, that this country has been damaged and it needs to be restored. And certainly... Those who are serving us in our military need to be respected and appreciated, and every one of their families as well, during this Christmas time of year. And there's one other big deal. It's a big deal. And that is Christmas Day of 2012, Petrina and I got married. <laughs> That's right. And it is a big deal. And it's... Our anniversary, 
Nine years, baby. Nine incredible years. We've been through it. It's been great. I love it. I love you, Petrina. And yeah, Merry Christmas. Happy anniversary. And here's to another nine great years. <laughs> I love it. God bless you all. Remember, just never give up. We're always in the fight. It's great. This is the greatest country in the world. And you can go and tell everybody, Merry Christmas. And God bless you. I'm New York Mike. This is Roll Right Radio. And I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.